This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. From our Providence, Rhode Island studios, I sit down with television personality, Kim Kalunian. Kim Kalunian is an anchor and reporter for WPRI Channel 12 Television in Providence, Rhode Island, where she has emerged as a signature talent on the station's roster. Ahead of pursuing a full-time broadcasting career, which launched with radio work and a stint at Providence News Talk Station WPRO, Kim was a full-time stage actress, performing nationally and locally, including at Trinity Rep. I identified with Kim's journey as an artist, making bold choices to pursue her dreams and fulfill her purpose, and also her application of the artist's life to news media. I'd wondered what it was that made Kim decide to shift from the stage to the newsroom, and how her life's journey informs her approach to delivering the news to the WPRI audience. We discussed some key commonalities between fine art and journalism, including the idea that, at the end of the day, artists and journalists are each charged with the pursuit of examining, trying to make sense of, and reporting back on the human condition. Hey, if you're on Instagram, stop by and follow the Bartholomew Town podcast account for a behind-the-scenes look at the pod, plus some of my print stories, video hot takes, and more. The handle is at Bartholomew Town, and feel free to send me your Rhode Island pics and videos for maybe a regram. Look out. Okay, let's get right to it. Without further ado, amidst a bit of unexpected city construction outside of the loft studio here in Providence, my conversation with Kim Kalunian. What was what was it that drew you going back to when you were, you know, the smallest version of yourself that you can remember? <laughs> I'm sure at one point you were drawn, whether it was at the talent show or whatever, you yeah. must have always loved the microphone. Like you just are all everything that you do in the performance spectrum the in the public speaking realm it seems like you have a tremendous amount of passion for it i do i do i love what i do and i'm really glad that you say that it shows because uh, that means a lot um so i don't remember this but my parents tell me that when i was a little girl we had one of those big uh, picture windows in the front of our house with a little ledge and i would get up on the ledge in the window and like do shows for the neighborhood or so i thought <laughs> um that was my stage and of course there were these like drapes these curtains that would open and i could push open the drapes and get onto this little stage and so i think that was even pre memory for me um my performance it was just sort of i guess in my dna and then what i remember and she's going to kill me for saying this but my mother ran for Mrs. Rhode Island and uh, and was Mrs. Rhode Island. And I remember seeing her compete. I was very little. And for me, I was just like, wow, this is just, I mean, from a, a little girl's perspective, it's the lights, the, the crowns, the sashes, the, the literal pageantry of it. But I was just so curious, like, what happens when they go backstage? Like, what am I not seeing? And for me, I just wanted to know. I wanted the answer to that question. And so I started um, dancing when I was like two and a half. My mom enrolled me in dance school. And then I just, that was it. I was just hooked on performing and being on the stage. What was the next step after dancing for you that, you know, you started to refine maybe a little bit more seriously looking at at art and performance, you know, yeah. rather than just an activity to kind of exercise right. that interest? When when did you start to say, or did people around you and your family or whatever start to say, 
oh, wow, this is something special. This isn't just like someone signing up for dance at this point. <laughs> so I remember, um, so I went to Carolyn Dutra Dance Studio, which is a great institution. And Carolyn Dutra is a former Radio City Rockette. Um, so she was very much about like the performance aspect and being being an artist and being a performer and knowing, you know, what happens if your hat falls off on stage and how to deal with that. So that was instilled in me very little. And then um, in school, I started singing in the chorus. And so I realized, okay, I have this sort of natural ability at dance and I have this sort of natural ability at singing. And so I started seeking out like um, youth theater productions and community theater productions. And when I was nine years old, I got cast in the nine Armenians at Trinity Rep, which was very exciting. Never made the cut for a Christmas carol. I'm not bitter, I swear. <laughs> but I did audition a couple of years for that. Um, and just started like getting the musical theater bug. And all through, you know, middle school, high school, every community theater show I could get into. Um, I performed at my school, at Hendrickin. I was doing stuff at Barker Playhouse, um, Academy Players, just like anywhere I could go. Um, I auditioned for a summer stock production up in New Hampshire at the New London Barn when I was a junior in high school. And I got cast in West Side Story, which was very exciting. So I did one show up there. And it just sort of became this thing where I was like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. I love this. I'm decent at it and I'm going to do it. So I decided that this would be my career. Obviously, it's not what I'm doing today. So, uh, you know, life takes you in the direction that you're meant to go. But I I just I knew from a very young age I was going to work hard at it and it was going to be what I did. Did you study anywhere? You know, did you go to school, college, if you will, for dance? Yeah, no. Or theater? I actually. I was supposed to go to NYU. I got accepted to the uh, Stella Adler studio at their um, at their art school at Tisch. And instead of going there, I decided I'm going to defer for a year. I'd never really been away from home. I'm an only child. New York City. I was like, oh, man, am I ready for this? So I decided to defer for a year. And I've always wanted to work at Disney World. It's my favorite place on the planet. If I could live in Disney World, I would. I'm crazy. I get it. But I love Disney World. And so I was like, I'm going to go down there for a year and like see what I can do. And I had auditioned at, uh, for Disney World in Boston the prior year. I was underage. They were like, come see us when you're 18, whatever. I get down to Disney World. It was a total bust. Like, it, the competition was stiff. There are people who make their living off of just auditioning at the theme parks, Universal, Disney World, SeaWorld, uh, Busch Gardens in Tampa. And I was a tiny fish in a big pond and it didn't work out. So I came back up here and started auditioning for regional theater in Boston, um, Providence, wherever I could get work and found that I was getting cast. And so I was like, well, you know what? College will always be there. I'm going to try and take these opportunities while I'm young and while I'm getting cast. And so didn't end up going to college, worked and worked as much as I could here. I went up to, I went down to Virginia, um, did a lot of stuff in Boston and Worcester. And, um, you know, it was, it was scraping together pennies, but I was doing what I loved. And I eventually joined the Actors' Equity Union. And so that was a really exciting step. Um, but I should say, while all of this was happening, to sort of rewind a little bit, um, when I was a senior in high school, we had to do a senior project. And I wanted to write theater reviews because I like to write, but I loved theater. 
And so I was like, okay, I'll go to my local newspaper, the Warwick Beacon, and I will pitch the editor on being like a theater reviewer. And I had dabbled in this here and there um, in high school for like online publications. And he was like, yeah, sure. Like come and intern with us. This will be great. So my senior project was this internship at the Warwick Beacon, Cranston Herald and Johnson Sunrise. The first day I walk in and my editor says, you're going to go cover this press conference. I think it was at like a citizen's bank. They were announcing something. I went there with him. I was so confused. I was so overwhelmed. I went back to write something and I wrote my first draft and he was like, write it again. And I just thought, okay, so this probably happened. This back and forth probably happened like three times. I wrote something. He said, write it again. I wrote something. He said, write it again. I went home and I cried. And I said, this internship is not for me. I never wrote a single theater review, but I did stick with it. And I finished my senior project and I learned a lot about journalism and writing for a newspaper. And it was an incredible learning experience. So after that, uh, the editor there, John Howell, uh, said, do you want to be a freelancer? So I was freelancing while I was doing these musical theater shows. So this is where the, the journalism side of everything comes into play. Eventually, I'm doing a show... Um, down in Virginia, I was doing 42nd Street at a dinner theater there and uh, finished that contract, came back up. And I think within days of me coming back home, John called me and said, hey, um, we're a little short on reporters right now. Can you come and work for me for just two weeks until I find someone? I said, yeah, I'm thinking back to that first day of that internship <laughs> where right. I was like in the office crying. Like, I was like, yeah, you know, OK. But at this point, I had been freelancing for a while, so I felt like I could handle it. First day, come home, I cry. <laughs> just like, I don't know. It was just, it's it's a tough business. And if you're not doing it every day, and I was young, so uh, I was like, man, what have I gotten myself into? But I thought, okay, it's only two weeks. I can push myself through for two weeks. Well, two weeks turned into two years and a full-time job. Um, <laughs> little did I know I would be the full-time replacement he was uh, talking about. So that's sort of when my um, theatrical career I don't want to say it ended because I did still take leaves of absences from the beacon. John was amazing about this. He knew what I was passionate about. I would go do shows in the summer, um, in the winter, and right in between full time. So, But eventually it was like, I got to pick. And for me, it still kills me to this day that I'm not doing musical theater full time because you know how it is as an artist. It's, it's in you. And I love it. And I respect everyone who works in it in that industry full time, it is brutal. Um, but I just knew lifestyle wise journalism, um, could give me what I wanted. I wanted to be here. I wanted to be in my home of Rhode Island. And so I picked. And so, yeah. Let's talk about the, the struggle, if you will. (laughs) The struggle is real. (laughs) The struggle is real, but the, the, there's two sides to it. I think, I hope anyway, that Mm. I haven't just driven myself into, madness at a certain level (laughs) in my pursuits but I think it informs you know that struggle especially when you when you put it into journalistic context Mm. the struggle of the artist and and really trying to maintain um you know not only your career and your passion but to be able to survive yeah that's a fundamentally uh unique position that we find ourselves in when when we're when you know our passions mm-hmm. are driving our actions yeah. and they're oftentimes totally different than what 
you know, the expectation of society is. So how did you deal with that? And how does that still inform you today? You know, as you, as you interview Nick Mattiello or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you need to be passionate about what you do. Right. We yep. were just talking about that. And, um, when I was younger, I heard it a million times. I, I wish I had a dollar for every time I heard you need to have something to fall back on. And it drove me crazy because I think if you know you want to do something, there there is nothing to fall back on. And so, you know, if there are young people listening to this who are thinking, well, I want to do musical theater or I want to do arts or, you know, and I'm hearing the same things. I, I would say don't listen to that. If you're talented and you love what you do, push yourself to, to make it your career. Um, but don't, don't have any visions of grandeur that it's going to be a piece of cake. It's a piece of cake for very, very few people. Um, and know that it's going to take a lot of work and Hey, you might not be able to live the lifestyle that you thought you were going to live, but that's a sacrifice that I think you should be willing to make. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to, uh, make any illusions of the fact that I I chose journalism over, uh, over performing, because it's more stable. It's not a very lucrative career. It's a career where you, I mean, for some it is, look at the, look at the national folks, but for most people, we're not doing it because of the money. We're doing it because we love what we do and we feel like what we do is important. Um, it wasn't really about the money for me. It was about the stability. Um, and so going from contract to contract and not knowing where your next job is when you're a performer and thinking, okay, am I going to go on a national tour and live out of a suitcase and not see my family for a year and miss the holidays? And is that the next step I want to take? Or would I rather have a, you know, a low paying job in a newspaper where I'm still doing something that I feel passionate about and that I have a sense of purpose every day and I can stay here and see my family. And, uh, you know, I met my husband. And so those were things that were important. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, it's a balancing act, but you got to stay true to what you want and what every day when you get out of bed, you're like, okay, let's do this. Yeah. No question about it. Because if you don't, and you have that internal passion, I think that's what, you know, you see a lot of people say, oh man, artists, they're more susceptible to depression or they're more Mm. susceptible to, um, you know, frankly, even suicide rates are higher for just from anecdotal experience. Mm -hmm. But, um, I think a lot of times that comes from not living out the internal fire, right? It's impossible to ignore it. If you have the type of passion that you have. It really is. I I can't imagine, um, you know, when I was younger and not performing, I can't imagine what would have happened to me if I had to sort of stifle that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think too, as artists, we're just more sensitive. (laughs) We're just sensitive people. We feel things, we feel them deeply. And, uh, so yeah, you gotta, you gotta hold on to those feelings. You gotta, you gotta be true to what, what it is that your gut is telling you, I think. Definitely. And I think the, the, the commonality with journalism, broadcasting, mm-hmm. and arts, whether it's fine arts or performing arts, whatever, well, I guess fi- performing arts are fine arts, but I guess yeah. visual art, whatever it is, um, you know, you're examining, especially on the artist side, the human condition and yeah. trying to report that back to fellow you know, humans and beyond potentially. You know, so as an artist, you, know, you have that unique position to do that work and really understand what we're kind of chasing ever since the big bang you know what i mean and then use that in journalism that's a that's a that's a tool that you have that most other people in this market don't have well i appreciate you saying that and i think you hit the nail on the head i mean i spent so much of my youth in you know drama camp whatever uh studying 
emotions and how to relate to people and situations and become a character that maybe you have nothing in common with. But when you get cast in that part, you need to assume their skin. And so you, you do, you study the human condition. And I think also um, one thing that is true about both musical theater, theater in general, and journalism, it's storytelling. And when I have the chance to tell someone's story, whether it was Peggy Sawyer in 42nd Street, Maria in West Side Story, or whether it's, you know, Bob Smith from down the street who just experienced the worst tragedy of his life. All of those stories are important. They all have a a purpose and they're all going to impact someone in some way that maybe you don't even know how. Um, But for me, yeah, it's, it's storytelling and I'm still getting to do that, which is super exciting and I love it. What's your favorite role? Would you say anchor, reporter, kind of long form reporting? Yeah. Um, gosh, I really, I really love it all. But um, I, I do love when I get to sort of sink into a story um, a little bit, uh, the longer form reporting. Yeah. Um, and really become a master of a topic. So often, every day, you know, I'll go in today at three, and um, I'll have to get an assignment, turn it around in a couple of hours, and. That's rewarding in itself because you, you know, the adrenaline rush and you have to make air and learn about something and be able to convey it to the viewers at home. Um, and I love that. I love that every day is different. The pace is different and you get to experience and see so much. Um, but it is also really rewarding when you get to sit down and maybe like comb through some data, look through some documents, talk to multiple people about one topic and really paint a fuller, broader picture maybe do a couple of pieces on one topic, one person. Um, that kind of stuff has been really, really rewarding for me. So I like that a lot. But is there, anchoring, anchoring is fun too, I will say. <laughs> is there a story in particular in the last like year that you've dug um, into that's been the most kind of your signature moment in a way? So I, a couple of stories come to mind. Um, one story I did back at my WPRO days, which will always stick with me as being just like a kooky, crazy, but also really impactful story about um, this local jeweler called Mommy Milk Creations, who was um, making jewelry out of women's breast milk. And she went viral. Uh, She was on the Today Show. She was everywhere because it was this really strange product. But mom's loved it because it was this keepsake of something that was so personal and important to them. Um, and then a lot of the customers reached out to me and said, we're not getting our orders. We've sent her something very close to us and we haven't gotten it back. And talked to all of these moms, um, contacted the attorney general's office, looked through all these receipts, these documents. And we found out that there were women, hundreds of women from like Australia, Asia, Europe, the U.S., Canada, who had tried to go through this Rhode Island woman to get this keepsake, didn't get it. And so I just felt like it was a story that because it was kind of strange, maybe not everyone would have wanted to listen to these women. Right. And so I just felt like I I played an important role in, in helping to get them justice. I mean, the, the case is still pending. Um, the owner of this company is still trying to refund these women thousands of dollars. So it's a slow process. But just being able to like bring light to that story was really exciting. And then a more fun story that I did recently that I really liked. Um, 
people have probably seen the state houses lit up in all different colors all the time. Oh, and yeah. I, I wanted to know why and how and what's going on with that. And so they took me up to like the top of the Department of Administration and let me look at the, the state house. They took me all the way up to the independent man on yeah. the top of the state house. So that was really cool. Just like getting an inside <laughs> look at one of our most uh, iconic buildings and, and so stuff like that. It's just fun. Every day is different and every day is fun. Yeah, I guess that would be the appeal of it as well in, in, in terms of working in journalism. You know, you never know most jobs, I guess you never know what's going to happen, but right. there's something, you never know how far your message is going to get. Like you could reach every person on the earth potentially. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I got an email the other day uh, from South Africa and someone said there is like a, a fair haven in South Africa. And so a story I did about fair haven in Massachusetts made it to South Africa. I mean, you, okay. just, <laughs> you just never know. You never know. Um, let's talk about some, just some specific Things. One thing I'm gonna, I will be able to reduce this. I have no idea what's going on right now. <laughs> Some construction it's, outside. It seems pretty significant, <laughs> but I, I will be able to deaden it significantly. That's so, great. Yes. I mean, it's good nat sound. It is. Yes, <laughs> but it is utterly shocking that right now that's happening <laughs> for the first time. Hey, it's ever. All right. What are you gonna do? Um, so just cool. Yeah. So specifically working in the Rhode Island media market, the mm. Providence, New Bedford market. There's, I've heard from some of your colleagues at Channel 12, from, from uh, other stations, that the access to – actually, specifically, Tim White stated the access to newsmakers mm. makes Rhode Island one of the best places to work in local news. Um, people in Rhode Island, they still watch the local news. They still listen to WPRO. We actually have a local station, political talk radio station in this city. Um, unlike most other places. Yeah. What do you think it is about Rhode Island? Is it the, the culture that people just love to know what's going on in each other's backyards? So they. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's so small that there's this sense of like, you know, everyone. I know, like, right. when I go out sometimes and I, I go to a party or something or a fundraiser and I don't know a single person, I'm like, what? How is this possible? Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, I, I've lived here my whole life. I grew up in Warwick. Um, and, and so, yeah, I just think there's this special sauce like that Rhode Island has that I know I, I've talked to people who like pop into different media outlets from out of state to either like learn or because they've been hired here for a job or and they're, they just they're like, what? I don't get it. And I mean, I feel like it's that special something you like almost can't put your finger on. But just just the survival of WPRO alone. I mean, so many of these talk radio stations have just gone syndicated national. And you have this appetite, which is not going anywhere, for a local, wall-to-wall, every single day coverage of politics, like what's happening in Rhode Island, and people love it. Um, And I, I think it makes it a great place to work, because you do feel like, oh, this matters to people. People want to know what is going on in their government, in their neighborhoods, and and also just being able to like report on my own home, it's it's super special. But I think Tim makes a really good point. The access we have here, I don't really know of another market. I mean, I, I haven't worked anywhere else. So, But it's just you hear from people who have come from other markets and they're like, what do you mean you can just walk up to the governor and ask her a question? What do you mean you can text the mayor? Like, right. So it's just a, it's a really cool place to be a reporter because – you know, so often, like, I know sometimes we have conversations like the governor has an availability. It's like, well, we just talked to her yesterday. Right. I mean, what what else is there to ask her to? You know, having that debate is just really unique and uh, it's a good problem to have. Sure is. <laughs> you bring up something in there as well that, you know, in your own career path, 
this is a, I don't know, what is it, the 47th or 53rd TV market, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, 53, and I think. 53. Yeah. So, and you mentioned you never worked another market, yet here you are, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're not, um, you know, Ginger Casey and, and Patrice <laughs> Wood yet, but you're on that trajectory, right? So, I mean, yeah. that must feel pretty good. You know, you've bypassed your reporting in your hometown, which happens to be this awesome market to work in. Um, and here you are, you know, you're, you're one of the faces of WPRI. What is that like? I mean, it's, it's exciting. I've always wanted to, if I was going to work in the news, I wanted it to be here in my home state. Um, and it's been, um, it's been interesting. I mean, so, you know, as I said, I started in community newspapers and then I knew I wanted to sort of make the leap to broadcast. Um, and I interned at Rhode Island Public Radio, which was great. Sort of got my feet wet in radio there. And then I took a, a digital position at WPRO. So I was just on the web. And, it, you know, it's classic, like, you know, you're in a play and the, the lead twists her ankle and it's like, all right, kid, you're on. And in this situation, we had someone who was out and then our fill-in had laryngitis or something. And my, my news director at the time said, just can you just read the news? I know you'll, you'll be fine. Just, just try and read the news. And uh, it was terrible. <laughs> but they let me do it again. Yeah. And... um they gave me a microphone. I was out in the field reporting, and eventually our afternoon anchor, Carolyn Cronin, uh, decided to leave, and she was, she was just great. And I was like, I, I want that job. I want that afternoon anchor job. Yeah. No experience. Like, I have this voice, you know? <laughs> it's, not, it's not the quintessential radio voice. And I went to my boss, and I said, I want her job. And he was like, okay, all right. Yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> well, well, I'll think about it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, sure. And I was like, let me know what you need me to do because like, I want that job. And uh, over time, I just was like filling in here and there. And finally, it was just sort of like, all right, you know what? You're doing okay at this. We'll give it to you full time. And it was just, it was being in the right place at the right time. And like that little bit of push and the, the squeaky wheel getting the grease and uh, believing that I could do it and believing in myself and um, having people who also believed in me. And then the leap to TV was a little funky in terms of like, you don't do that anymore. I think in like the 80s and 90s, it was a very natural progression to go from radio to television. But now um, you do have to go to a smaller market. Uh, historically, it's, it's the the track that people take. They go to college, they go to a small market in like North Dakota, um, and then they move up to a, a, a larger market because I think there's like 250 TV markets or something like that and we're like you said number 53 so we're, we're a sizable market um, but the news director at Channel 12 you know I sat down with her and I said I'm looking to make the leap to television where, where can I start and she said um, you can start off air as an associate producer um, and we'll go from there I thought okay wow I'll do it like if that's what I have to do like I'll do it and she said, but you know what? Uh, before you do that, why don't you come in and do like an on-air test? I thought, oh, this is good. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I will take that opportunity. Thank you. Um, so I came in a couple weeks later, did like went out into the field, and, like learned how to use a camera with this awesome producer who like taught me everything and um, did interviews and the, the stuff that I shot that we shot ended up on TV that night. And I like put together what we call a package. That's what we call our stories. And the news director looked at it and she was like, okay, um, come in again. I don't remember if it was the next day or, or the next week. And she said, do it again. And I said, okay. And then she said, we're going to, we're going to pay you for your time because we're using your content. I was thinking, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is, this is so Getting exciting. paid for my time. What? Wow. 
this is unusual. <laughs> yeah. um, I've never been paid for an audition before. Um, and so I, I did. And then next thing I know in my email, I got this schedule and I was on it. And, and it just sort of happened. Like it, it was just, again, like one of those things where I had people who believed in me. I believed in myself enough to put myself out there. And I just thought, if this is what I want, I'm going to try and make it happen as best as I can. And even though it's not the traditional way, I mean, I didn't go to college, didn't go to a smaller market. Um, I just said to myself, you can do it. And uh, luckily, now I have my dream job. And it's pretty awesome. So, Yeah, and I'm sure it didn't hurt that you bled art for so long right. when those audition moments come. You know, I always think about that pilot, Sullenberger, that landed the the, yes. the plane after the birds flew into the engines and they landed in the water in the Hudson. I was yeah. in New York at the time. I lived there for 10 no years. So I was in like a high rise and that thing crashed. And, you know, just the fact, how many flights did that guy pilot over his career? And then boom, that one moment. All right, it's time to go. And I mean, that's probably what happened with you at Channel 12 when, you know, you didn't randomly show up on that email list. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it was a combination of like, you know, just drilling auditions all the time. So, you yep. know, like, okay, keep your adrenaline check, ride that wave and, and do your best. And also just like learning to deal with rejection. I yeah. mean, how many times have we heard no? And I've heard no a trillion times, both in, in theater and in this industry. No, you can't make the leap from newspapers to radio. I heard that. I went into a, a radio executive's office and I said, I work in newspapers right now, but I, I want to be on radio. And he was like, can't do it. And then I, two years later, I was. And then, you know, I had heard from a million people, oh, you, you can't make the leap from radio to TV without going to a smaller market. And you do it. So I just think when someone says no, you got to figure out how to make them say yes. And um, being in the arts, that's, you know, a really good foundation for it that. It sure is. Especially, <laughs> yeah, being told no and persistence is, and, and not annoying persistence. Right. There's a fine line between checking in and presenting updated work or whatever. And so just, true harassing people <laughs> right right yeah don't don't harass people but show them show them why they should maybe change their mind my last question um f- females in the media in rhode island there are some some powerful females working yeah. in media here no question about it um you know my wife and i are in a band together we she's an, an artist and so we we have this professional relationship that we i try to look at things you know without any gender assignment whatsoever in that context. But at the same time, I've seen that she's treated differently by male producers mm. or male bookers or whatever it is. There's, there's people, gatekeepers, that will treat her differently than me, even though I see us as equals in our band. Do you feel it's diff- more difficult for a female to assert your own identity without mm. the influence or quote-unquote mansplaining <laughs> that goes on sometimes this is just from my own experience in music i've seen this i wonder if it's yeah. similar in other aspects of well, broader performing like you said i mean i think the great thing about uh this market is we do have a lot of incredible women who are um doing incredible work both you know on the broadcast side i think of tara granahan she broke through that glass ceiling of being in a in the traditionally male dominated world of wpro she's got her own show now which is super exciting um and then you know other females who are on uh the news with me, my colleagues at Channel 12, Channel 10, Channel 6, um, 
it's a lot of women. And then you've got reporters like Kathy Gregg, who she's entrenched at the state house. And I don't know how she's done it because it was different when she started. It was different. And then I also really look up to Michelle Smith at the AP. There's like just some really awesome ladies who are doing awesome (laughs) work every single day. Right. Um, it's interesting for me. I don't feel it. And, uh, and it's an, it's a great thing to say that I don't I don't feel any any different because I know it wasn't always that way. Um, I think it helps that I have a female boss, our news director Karen Resendiz. Um, she's a, a terrific leader, and it's great to be able to go say like I'm going to go talk to my boss, and if someone says, "Oh, what's he going to say?" I'm like, "No, she <laughs> she is going to talk to me." So it, it's that's awesome. Um, yeah. I think the one area maybe where we need to work on it a little bit. And, you know, maybe maybe Ted, <laughs> Ted, Ted will agree or disagree. I think he would agree with me that we need more female political reporters. I think traditionally the statehouse has been male dominated. It's just history. And as women start to break into leadership roles, our first female governor, we have more women in the legislature. The Providence City Council has majority females now. Um, I think we need to have more women in those political reporter roles, because right now it's, that's still a male dominated circle, um, locally aside from Kathy, Kathy Gray. Right. Um, and I do think it's a little bit harder because you have a lot of male sources talking with male reporters. Um, so maybe we can sort of, sort of switch that up a little bit, but at the end of the day, I mean, I can't say I've seen much, you know, gender discrimination between my male colleagues, my female colleagues, I will say, like, most of the the reporters going out there in the field um, for the TV stations were women. And I don't know if people realize this, but we have to shoot and edit our own stuff. So you'll see, like, Julianne Lima, who is our uh, weekend morning anchor, and she's also a reporter. She's carrying this, like, 50-pound camera, 50-pound trot. You know, she's just, like, lugging all it. this stuff. I've seen her out there, and I right? love it. Yeah, you're like, yeah, you're like, here we go. Awesome. This is it. This is this is the real deal here. Yeah, and you know? so we're we're working hard, hard out there. Absolutely. And um, so, girl power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, one last quick question: Working with Ted at the yeah. same station, your husband. Um, I assume you guys met at Channel Twelve, and we didn't actually. Oh, okay. Quickly, our story yep. is: um, I was still working at the Warwick Beacon, um, and he was at Channel Twelve. He had been there for maybe a year or two. I knew who he was. This was in the middle of. Um, this was 2012, in the middle of the um, pension reform that then Treasurer Ramundo was doing. And I got sent to a local hearing in Warwick. He was there because he was all over pension reform. And uh, I ended up sitting down next to him. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's Ted Nisi. He knows everything about pensions. <laughs> He's, like, typing away on his Mac. And I'm just, like, totally lost. And he turns to me and he says, uh, oh, do you cover these things often? And it was, like, the corniest, like, quintessential, like, oh, come here often kind of a line. And I was like, right. no, absolutely not. I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I don't know. We just sort of connected from there typical millennials we started like following each other on social media and eventually he asked me out for a drink and the rest is history we've been married for over a year so it's uh it's pretty great but we actually a lot of people think we met at channel 12 but we did not awesome that's a cool story (laughs) i love the pickup line (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) it worked (laughs) as always thank you for listening to the bartholomew town podcast until next time i'm bill bartholomew we'll talk soon